I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about it. slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Trevor Sykema because we're talking a little NFL draft here, college football. Week one starts tonight. I know week zero happened, but week one starts tonight. And, uh, hey, we want to talk a little bit of draft. Trevor, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Steve. I see that you're rocking the uh, the Gators quarter zip here. I, I don't have a Florida shirt on. I should. Um, but, I thought you uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch our Gators start yeah, the I season you off would. I mean, with I, a road W. I'm laughing because I don't know if that's actually going to happen. But I'm ready for I'm a five-win season. It. I'm ready for a five-win season. And then the optimism of the 2024 recruiting class that's coming right around the corner. So Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that I look at it is they're tanking for Caleb Williams. Yes. That's, that works, yes. right? They're that's, going to tank. That works. <laughs> they're tanking for even more recruits next year. And then watch out, 2025. You know, just got to stick with Billy Napier, though. He's getting them back on track in the recruiting front. All right. So we're not here to talk just Gators, though. I want to talk NFL draft. We usually do this at, at one point here on the PFF NFL podcast ahead of the season. Just a high-level preview. And, Trevor, I know you are, you know, co-host of the Stock Exchange with Connor. And you guys have been going position by position. You guys are getting into the weeds. But some of our listeners haven't gotten that high-level draft overview. And you are also the newly minted PFF lead draft analyst. Is that the official title? What's the official title here? I think that is the official title, or at least that's what I have in my Twitter bio. That's what I was told to go with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. But, no, I appreciate it, man. It's it's uh, it's it's an honor. It's a dream. Um, Mike Renner, truly one of the best in the business, so it was awesome to get to work with Mike over the last couple of years and kind of continue the legacy that he's been able to lay with some really great draft coverage that we've had over at PFF and just trying to continue that moving on, moving forward. And I, I picked it. I, I know I didn't pick the timing, but somehow maybe God picked really great timing because it's a super exciting draft class this year. It really is. Yeah, it is. And so uh, let's get right into that. By the way, I mean, I was I was the original draft analyst. I, I handed oh. it to, to Renner first. But, the true uh, roots. This is the true roots then. This is like, I don't, I don't know. I was, I was going to say that like, Renner is 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 Qui Gon and and I was Obi Wan, but like, what is that like? What who's are you Yoda? Is are is that what you are then of the draft I think game? Are you I would Yoda? say Yoda. It's funny. My kids are way more into Star Wars than I am, and uh, they might have a better answer for me. They know every like my my eight year old knows everything about Star Wars now, so we'll find out exactly what I am. But um, okay, let's get into it. So last draft class, mm-hmm. our listeners here probably heard me say this a million times. There's not a lot of blue chips in this class. There's not a lot of blue chips. You know, I felt good about Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, on the field at least. And then beyond that, it's like, I don't know. You know, even even the best quarterback, Bryce Young, it's like the dude's short. The dude's like 5'8". So right. is this draft class different? What are we looking for in this 2024 draft class high level from just a blue chip st- uh, standpoint? Yeah, I'm not just saying this because I want people to read our work and use our mock draft simulator. But, like, this is genuinely a loaded draft class at least it looks like it here in at the end of august going into september like this has the potential and i'll I'll just say it like this 
I did a top 150 that we have over on PFF.com right now, so you guys can go see that if you would like. There are players outside of my top 100 that would pretty easily be in top 75s in previous years. So, like, that's the kind of talent pool that we're talking about. It's just really great. And when you go to the blue chip conversation, yeah, it was it was one that a lot of people wanted to know because the three blue chip prospects, think okay, Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, and then Bijan Robinson. I think that point of conversation when you talked about draft strategy was sometimes a reason why people were like, yeah, just take Bijan in the top 10. I get that he's a running back, but you only have one blue chip offensive player in this class so go get that guy so it it kind of shaped the way that we talked about how the 2023 nfl draft is going to unfold this year it could be loaded with blue chip players i mean caleb williams obviously at the top you figure he's going to be a blue chip quarterback drake may is somebody who you think could uh, certainly get that blue chip tag as well maybe they go number one and number two in the draft but like marvin harrison jr would be a, a, a number one wide receiver in the nfl today so he's got the blue chip tag. The same with Brock Bowers. I mean, the second that Brock Bowers comes in the NFL, I think he's going to be one of the best tight ends in the league. And that's, I'm not saying this, I don't mean to say this lightly. I just mean to say how good the top talent is in this year's draft class. So he's going to be a blue chip. Jared Verse, the edge rusher from Florida State. Uh, Olu Fashanu from Penn State, the offensive tackle. He could be a blue chip. Joe Alt from uh, Notre Dame, their offensive tackle could very well be a blue chip. Chop Robinson, the edge rusher from Penn State. Uh, Cooper DeGene, the corner slash safety from Iowa. Like You've got corners like uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry and uh, and Kalen King from Alabama and Penn State. So like I'm naming off, just off the top of my head, and really at the very beginning of my big board, guys who I don't just have ranked high could have those blue chip tabs to them. And that that's more than double the amount that we could have even potentially had, I think, last year. So this class is is it's extremely talented at the top. Um, but I also think that it's just really deep in a lot of the really important positions, quarterback, edge rusher, offensive tackle, wide receiver, um, cornerback, th- those groups already are showing multiple potential first-rounders, which makes for a fun conversation to have throughout the season. Two two of the specific names that you mentioned, Jared Verris from Florida State and then Olu Fashanu, the offensive tackle from Penn State. Both guys were draft eligible last year, could have declared, were expected to declare at one point, and maybe would have been uh, the top or second you know, position uh, player off the board at their respective positions. I don't. I don't think Jared Verse would be going over Will Anderson, but certainly would have been right. in the top ten conversation. Maybe goes above Tyree Wilson at edge, and then Fashanu may have been the best tackle prospect in the draft last year if he had come out. But they're both young. They're inexperienced, right? Jared Verse has about 500 career FBS snaps, not even. Mm-hmm. And and Fashanu, you know, broke out last year, but again, inexperienced. Mike, what I'm wondering is. Does the class feel loaded because of just the state of college football? Did we just hit this spot where certain players were coming back because of NIL? And I know NIL is not better money than first-round money, but it might be enough if you're on the fringe, right? It's enough to keep you in college. Are we at this point where the class feels loaded because because some guys came back because of NIL or because of inexperience, and then a bunch of these guys that we think are going to come out the soft, the redshirt sophomores, the juniors, maybe they end up staying an extra year. Is that part of the reason why it feels loaded? Yeah, I think that this genuinely could be a mega draft class for a couple of the reasons that you named and other reasons. I mean, going back to Olu and Jared Verse, 
I think Jared Verse would have been the pick at number seven for the Raiders, and I think that Olufashana would have been the pick for the Arizona Cardinals, whether they would have stuck at three or whether they would have made the trade back and trade up to number six. I think both of those guys would have been top ten picks last year, which, of course, helps bolster a draft class. When you look at those two guys and say, oh, they would have been top ten players last year, and I have Olu at number four, and I think I have Jared Verse at either seven or eight. Like I got a lot of other guys around them and even ahead of them in this upcoming class. So I think that the context that you brought in to the question is important. NIL is allowing players who may have even gotten like early day two grades to say to themselves, you know what? I'm financially set with some of these deals that I have, and I want to go for that first round tag. I, you know, all, These guys only get drafted to the NFL one time. It'd be pretty damn cool at the end of your career, at the end of your life, whatever, to look back and be like, yeah, I was a first-round draft pick at one point. So I think a lot of players have those aspirations, and with NIL, they're getting a lot more money up front, or at least out in the open, we should say. And so that is leading them to probably stay a little bit more and see if they can become those first-round draft picks. So I definitely agree with you. That goes into it. I also think the COVID year, the free COVID year that these players have of eligibility goes into this as well because there's some fourth and fifth year players from last year's class who have that fifth and even sometimes sixth year of eligibility if they got injured and got a medical redshirt in there somewhere that are now in this draft class. So they're basically trying to put all their chips into this this season and say, hey, I've got a ton of experience now. I'm going to get another year as a starter. Maybe that's going to be the difference of what takes me from an undrafted free agent to a day three guy, maybe a day three guy to a day two guy. I don't know how many fifth or sixth, sixth year players we're going to talk about in the first round, but I think all of those things go into this being a mega draft class when it comes to overall talent. So this is this to me is going to be one of the most exciting classes for those two reasons, because we're seeing NIL really influence draft decisions for the first time. And because we're coming towards the end of those guys having that extra COVID year of eligibility. I think it goes to many, many, many less players once you get beyond this year. A lot of good skill position players in this draft. And as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, including quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and all on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join thousands of parents that have joined who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes to, at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. Reminds me of draft elite, night. That was an elite transition. Thank I you. I had, a, I had a good one yesterday. I usually don't. I just jump into it. I had a good one yesterday. Somebody complimented me on it, and I decided let's keep it going. Let's, let's have top-notch segues here as much as possible. Um, speaking of segues, we're moving to quarterbacks. How's that? That was um, good. That was good. The, the, the quarterback class, man, it, look, the, there are a lot of players to talk about. I don't know if we can 
gets all of them. But the high ends, the big names are Caleb Williams from USC, Drake May from UNC. But we've seen through the years, Kyler Murray came out of nowhere. Joe Burrow came out of nowhere, relatively, right? right? Before the season, nobody was ranking them. They came out of nowhere. Um, There's also this thought where people say, hey, next year's quarterback class is going to be better. And in last year's class, everybody's like, well, Caleb Williams is coming and Drake May's coming. Next year's will be better. And uh, sometimes it's true. And this draft class looks like, at the top end, feel good about those two guys. And then the potential of so many other, the Bo Nixes of the world, the Quinn Ewers of the world. Mm-hmm. Who knows if Quinn Ewers is even going to be in the draft class. But there right. are many names who could be in the first round conversation, even beyond Caleb Williams and Drake May. But let's start at the top. Uh, who's the top quarterback in this draft class? And how many are you expecting to eventually go in the first round? Yeah, I, so... Caleb Williams has to be the number one guy. I mean, we even saw through the uh, the, the the week zero game, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, just another ridiculous game. And I feel like throughout this entire Pac-12 schedule that he goes up against, it's just going to be another week, another incredible Caleb Williams performance. You know, there's a reason why he is the betting favorite to win the Heisman yet again, become one of very few people to have ever won the Heisman back to back. So he's he's number one on the big board. He's number one in the quarterback discussion. We're already making the memes and the jokes about the Arizona Cardinals cutting the only competent QBs that they have on the roster to somehow win the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. So he's that guy at the top. I, I, I it's it would be hard for me to for him to fall anywhere. I'll just at least say out of the top three. You know, it would take a really bad year for him to probably move off of that top spot just because of how talented he is as a quarterback. We saw that at Oklahoma. We saw it at USC. And we're probably going to see it again this year. So he's that top guy for a reason. Drake may have at number five. So he also is in the top five of total players. And he's the QB2 guy. You know, I initially had Bo Nix, who I have a little bit further down. Where do I have Nix? I've got Nix at 26 on yeah. the big board. I initially had Bo Nix ahead of Drake May when we went through our summer scouting. And the reason is because... You did? I, I, init- I initially did because... Nix's play under pressure was so damn impressive to me last year. And after kind of like sitting down and chewing on a little bit and going through some more PFF data, going through some more film, I was like, okay, I might have just been overreacting because of how how stark the contrast was to what he was at Auburn versus what he became last season at Oregon. And the way that Nix operated under pressure last year was phenomenal. I mean, he was a guy who could truly beat you with his arm or his leg, but in doing so, he he just made the right decision, right? On the times where it was like, hey, uh, this is the spot where I need to beat you with my legs. He did. If it was like, hey, this is the spot where I need to beat you throwing over the middle. He did. This is the spot where I could take a shot deep. He did. This is where I need to check it down. I did. And I'm not saying he was perfect last year, but his ability to play really well under pressure really impressed me. And that's such an important part of the quarterback position, right? You find a lot of guys that can uh, make those on schedule throws, the clean pocket throws, the early down throws. Um, But it's the guys who can create under pressure, which are the ones who you really want to draft high because that's some that's that's often something you can't teach. I'm not saying that Drake May was terrible under pressure. He was good under pressure. But certainly as the year went on, I saw him falter a little bit when the pressure ramped up. But the volume of big time throws that this guy had the volume of NFL-type difficulty passes that he made with pinpoint accuracy. The more games I watched, I was just like, 
I can't, I, I can't not have this guy as QB two. He, he's, he is unbelievable in that regard because of those high difficulty throws that he was already able to make as a true sophomore that we saw last season. So that ultimately is why I went with him at number two, and then I did have Bo Nix at number three. But I'll say this too, like to, to go along with the point that I said at the beginning of the show, how there's guys who are outside the top 100 that I could have easily had in the top 75 in different years. I normally, when I do summer scouting, I'll watch like seven, eight, nine quarterbacks. And when you get to like seven, eight, nine, you say to yourself like, all right, I mean, I've, I've probably watched all the guys that, that have good draftable grades here. Dude, I have 11 in the top 100 right now. I, I watched 18 quarterbacks because the more I watched, the more I just kept telling myself, all right, this guy, yeah, sure, strengths and weaknesses, but he's got a shot. He could become an NFL guy, even if it's like, you know, day three, a backup guy. Like these, there's so much potential NFL talent in this quarterback class that it makes it a lot of fun from the very top all the way through the bottom. Yeah, that's what I, I, I see a lot of those what ifs. It, you know, the off air, we, I mentioned Joe Milton from Tennessee. The dude has an absolute cannon. He's yes. going to be in this favorable system. If he puts up numbers like Hendon Hooker did last year at Tennessee with a with a better skill set, right, of a you know cannon for an arm, Joe Milton is going to get hyped up. the The interesting thing to me, Trevor, is there's a lot of QBs historically who looked like a number one overall pick right from the get go. Right, as soon as Jameis Winston stepped on the field at Florida State, he looked like a future number one overall pick. Andrew Luck at Stanford, Marcus Mariota at Oregon, it, all of those guys looked the part right away. Caleb Williams, I think, has that. You could argue Drake May kind of has that. He was very young last year, as you mentioned, and and you you're also you're projecting some growth there with his mm-hmm. frame, his arm, and all of that. But there is a plethora of quarterbacks recently. The Brock Purdy's of the world, the Kenny Pickett's of the world. Like Kenny Pickett was a mid-level college quarterback for three or four years mm-hmm. and then became a first-round pick. And I'm not saying it was right. wrong, but those guys developed. And what I'm trying to wrap my head around is the Bo Nix saga, because at Auburn, the dude, you know, this decision making was terrible. He'd, mm-hmm. he'd have those flash plays here and there. But you mentioned he goes to Oregon and plays a completely different style, takes care of the ball, other than week one. You know, week one against Georgia, he's throwing the ball to the defense. It's like, ah, oh, Bo Nix, it's the same guy. He's at Oregon right. now. But he changed, man, and he just took care of the ball and, and was good. You know, Jaden Daniels at LSU, uh, you know, he wasn't. He was like, uh, you know, he's a nice, he's a good freshman at Arizona State, but he never really developed, and then he got better and better, and now he's, he's in the mix. He's at 51 on the board right now. A Jordan Travis from Florida State, who's a runner first, and, you know, you're seeing the pass game development there. A J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Uh, you know, the, those are the guys you're talking about, right? Like the what-ifs. They've developed. Mm-hmm. They've gotten better. They're really talented. Who are those, who are those other quarterbacks? Or Talk about some of those guys that – or just you know have a chance to maybe jump into that first round conversation. Yeah, the thing is, is that I mean you're totally right. There is something to love about so many of these guys where you say, all right, that's a really nice strength to your game. If you round out the rest of the profile, 
Yeah, somebody might take a shot on you in the top 50 because that's just the nature of the position. If you hit on the position, of course, it changes your entire NFL franchise. So, man, I can go rapid fire here with a lot of these Do guys. It. Riley Leonard from from, uh, from from Duke, he's somebody who was a first-year starter last year. Now, the consistency wasn't exactly what it needed to be. The adjusted completion percentage was below 70. You know, the, the clean pocket grade, the early passing down grades, like they weren't as good as you would want to see from him. But there are flashes where this dude – puts the ball in just a beautiful spot. He throws with so much anticipation. He throws with beautiful ball placement and great touch as well. Those are features of being a passer that you often cannot teach. And he he showed a handful, I, I would say more than a handful of, of times last year that he was able to complete those. He's also got some good athleticism to create uh, outside of the pocket. And when you combine those two things, more consistency, yeah, he could absolutely be somebody that we talk about in the top 50. You mentioned Jane Daniels. He was more of a running quarterback than a passer. And I still think that we're waiting for him to really take that leap as a passer. But last year, really took care of the ball really well. One of the lowest turnover-worthy play percentages that we had in college football from an FBS quarterback, especially one that was draft eligible. So if he continues to take care of the ball really well and can be smart, with when he when he takes off with his legs because he's a fast mobile quarterback, when he keeps it and keeps his eyes downfield, and then pushing the ball a little bit more, can we get some more big time throws out of you? I love that taking care of the football, dual threat guy. That's really that's really something that I think teams are going to love. Queen Ewers, truly an arm that can make every throw on the field. It's just can he deal with pressure? Pressure was tough on him last year, even when he came back and was healthy, or even before he was hurt. Uh, pressure is something that he's going to have to deal with, but that often gets better when you get more experience. So that's why this year is huge for Quinn Ears and, and everything that he has with this potential. Michael Pratt from Tulane, dude who I didn't watch until very recently, and I ended up having him top 60 on the big board because he's another guy who has the NFL arm, has the NFL stature, but he's just more of a pure pocket passer. He's going to do everything from, from the pocket. He's not going to give you a lot when it comes to mobility. And he just doesn't, he doesn't like to handle pressure very well. And when I say that, I mean, there are so many opportunities where even just as a pocket passer, I could see him climb the pocket a little bit more, just shuffle up two or three yards and then let it rip from a clean pocket because you've then stepped up where you need to. But he doesn't like to step up. He, he doesn't like to do those things. He, he When he gets pressured, he gets rattled a little bit. So I want to see more pocket confidence from him. If he does that, though, the NFL arm, same thing with McCarthy. McCarthy, I thought, didn't deal with pressure super well last year, but all the arm talent in the world, Jordan Travis, all right, doesn't have the measurables that you want, but he's got everything else you want. I mean, he is he is accurate. He's a playmaker. He's so smart. He gives you that dual threat ability. So if this dude was just a little bit taller, had a little bit more of an arm strength, we'd be talking about him already as a top 50 player. So he's going to be fun to watch. And then you mentioned you mentioned Joe Milton as, as the other guy. I think he's the ultimate wild card. I got him at 69 right now uh, on the big board and. That's simply from arm potential. I mean, the lower body mechanics with Joe Milton have to be better. I mean, there are so many times, even last year, where he gets the ball in the pocket and his feet just, they're in cement. I mean, he just, he's, it's, it's all upper body, it's all chest, it's all upper back, it's all arm. And that causes a lot of bad ball placement. Even if he's firing the ball in there so fast, he's not getting picked off or you're not getting forced in completions. The, the the ball placement, the accuracy can be a lot better if he fixes the lower body mechanics. And if he does that, you mentioned the arm talent is good enough where we're going to talk about this guy similarly to what we talked about with Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Yeah, they're not a perfect passer yet, 
But what if, you know, what if he gets a little bit better in these areas? And we saw Richardson obviously go number four overall. We saw Will Levis go in the second round. So Milton kind of has that same kind of conversation to him. So those are a lot of the guys that just off the top of my head, just reading the list there that strengths and weaknesses of why they could be top 50 guys. I think that's why we're headed for maybe the most exciting college football season in a while. Because none of those guys are at Alabama. None of those guys are at Ohio State. They've got questions yeah. at their quarterback position. Clemson, they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, their sophomore there, Klubnik. And all these other quarterbacks could break out. We're going to see some teams make runs here. Um, so, yeah, college football fans, you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly anything can happen in college football like all these quarterbacks taking their team from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years change comes fast the only thing that's a lock though is great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook life's more fun when you're in on the action download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use code PFF new customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit what www.1800gambler.net yeah, I'm, I'm as excited about the quarterback class just to watch these guys. Not all of them are going to develop. I think there's guys here in your top 100 You're gonna at the end of the season. You might, you might look at it and say, I don't know. I, I was projecting a little bit. And then other guys are going to say, man, I was low on them. So that's what I'm looking forward to this college football season. Um, some of the other – I want to talk a little bit more about the blue chip guys you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into you know, some of the guys that are under the radar that you love. You haven't even brought up your guy yet. Leonard we're Taylor. Like halfway, we're like thirty minutes in the show, and you haven't even brought up Leonard Taylor, Taylor yet. How is that? Are you having a, like a competition with yourself? I might save. I might drop some of my early model adjacent guys. You know, the guys that the uh, the draft model likes early on. I like to run the model throughout the season okay. and see where see where guys are moving. Like Devin Witherspoon was the most improved in my draft model last year. You know, goes from yeah. out of nowhere up to number five overall. But yeah, Len, you know, Leonard Taylor maybe should be. In the, uh, in the blue chip discussion for Miami. There's a lot of those plays. He's a defensive tackle, maybe a little undersized, but really disruptive on 500 career snaps. Yeah. And look, look at those grades, right? 87 grade and uh, just some of the most explosive, disruptive plays you'll see. But he's got no experience. So I'm kind of projecting, you know, a, you know, give him a full season and he'll be in that DT1 conversation. Jared Verse was similar with Florida State. You know, only a handful of snaps in his career Uh, but a lot of these guys like we talked about earlier could have been at the top of the draft class this year and discussed as top 10 picks Marvin Harrison Brock Bowers let's go through some of those guys and what makes those guys so special like what what is the NFL getting with some of these blue chip players yeah I mean when you look at the rankings we could just start with um with Marvin Harrison Jr. who's who comes in at number two overall on on the preseason big board like I said he would be a wide receiver one on not just an NFL team. Cause like sometimes people say that like, Oh, he could be a wide receiver one on an NFL team. It's like, okay, you talk about the Carolina Panthers. Like, all right, well then, then you sure. I think whoever they draft in the first round probably would be their wide receiver one. But like this dude would be a wide receiver one on most NFL teams. The way that he approaches the position, obviously the name tells a lot of the story. Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay. Marvin Harrison senior is one of the best wide receivers who's played over the last couple of decades. And, He's, he's somebody who's a Hall of Fame caliber type of player, and he's just grown up around the game. And you see that. You see that in how he approaches everything to it. Not only does he have the size, the speed, the athleticism, all that, like 
he understands the releases. He understands how to attack cornerbacks when they're on inside leverage, outside leverage. He understands like how to eat up space, how to really get a corner to turn their back to him, how to really attack their blind side, all that stuff, man. Just easy things that he does to create that subtle separation that make all the difference in the world when you're projecting these receivers going from college to the NFL level. He already does them so well. So uh, he is somebody who is going to be without question a top 10 pick it could very easily be a top five overall pick um and he's a stud in that regard brock bowers is the next guy he's number three he's right next to him on the list and bowers you know it's interesting because when i kind of went into summer scouting you read up on these players and brock bowers i don't think anybody watches brock bowers on tape and questions his size but brock bowers is i think barely six foot three and like 240 pounds he's small like that's small for an nfl tight end even in today's age where you're getting a little bit lighter with these tight ends because they're receivers more than they are blockers but like he's a small dude and i wondered if people would look at brock bowers and now that he is draft eligible start to nitpick him for the size there's just nothing on tape that allows you to do that. Like yeah. you, you can't even say, "Oh, he's small, so you're not going to want him in line very often." Bullshit! Like he, like the dude's absolutely dominant on the line of scrimmage. He's giving you his all and his effort everywhere. Now he is a receiver first. He's going to give you the most return on investment as a receiver. But this dude absolutely blocks his ass off. You don't get on the field at Georgia as a freshman if you are not doing the little things right. And the little things right, first and foremost, you got to hold the line of scrimmage. You got to be able to block, especially if that's where you're playing. So Bowers did that as a true freshman. He did that last year as a true sophomore. He's going to do it again as a true junior, and that's why, like. He brings an everything profile. We're going to talk about this guy potentially breaking the tight end draft record that Kyle Pitts set going number four overall. I mean, there's a realistic possibility that Brock Bowers could be a top three pick. Two ninety plus grades so far in college. And Bowers, you know, if you even if you were going to call him undersized, you would say, well, Travis Kelsey. You know, look, we we don't throw Travis Kelsey comps out there, but Travis Kelsey doesn't do a lot of work in line, and he's perfectly productive. Uh, of course, Aaron Hernandez, when he came into the league, the Patriots basically used him as a glorified wide receiver in a, in right. a move tight end. There are ways to use these types of tight ends. And look, Kyle Pitts, he was a unicorn as well in a, in a completely different way at tight end. I'm not sure if the Falcons have properly tapped into that skill set yet. I don't know if that fits their run-heavy offense or any of that. But there is a world where Kyle Pitts could be used better and becomes a star, maybe in other places. I think Brock Bowers, if used properly, right? Look, look what George is doing, giving him end arounds and screens, and, it, and he just he produces, man. He produces, and I think that'll that'll translate at the next level. Um, Olu Fashanu was really interesting to me, Trevor. I mentioned he's he's got barely over 600 career snaps, offensive tackle from Penn State, and he's got some of the biggest discrepancies from run blocking and pass blocking grades. But I was looking at his pass blocking grades and on true pass sets and everything, Fashanu projects as one of the best pass protectors we've seen since 2014. Um, I know 84.7 grade last year, but that's on a small sample size. If you project that out in another season, we're talking about Fashanu being right up there with Ronnie Stanley from Notre Dame. Uh, Laramie Tunsil is a guy that kind of comes to mind as a guy who's a better pass protector than run blocker. But the the run blocking for Fashanu is what I'm going to be looking at this year to see. He just loses too many blocks, but he's so young. That's what I'll be watching for this year, though. If he improves that, I mean, to me, that locks him in in that top five conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you watch his tape 
it it does not take you very long to just appreciate the athleticism that he has. I mean, he's six foot six, I think three hundred and twenty pounds, and the guy moves so well in his pass sets, whether it's, you know, quick steps, whether it's 45 degree angle, whether it's a vertical drop, like this dude can absolutely beat you to the point of where you're trying to get as an edge rusher. If you're trying to attack the outside shoulder, if you're trying to make contact at a certain point and it's the foot speed, how light he is on his feet, but also like, I feel as though you sometimes see offensive tackles, be really light on their feet because they're able to play on their toes really well. And that's where you can get a lot of your explosion in your lower body. So you can move really well, but then when offensive or sorry, when edge rushers try to get into your chest, when they try to move you back, if you play on your toes a lot as an offensive tackle, you might move really well, but then it's sometimes difficult to shift that weight to your heels to then really anchor to stop them when they're, when they're trying to bring power to you. Fushanu is not like that, man. I mean, the, the the balance to me is what is the most impressive trait that he has. And that's how you see such a clean pass rush grade on these true pass sets. Because no matter what edge rushers are trying to do to him, they're not going to beat him with a long arm. They're not going to beat him to the outside shoulder. And they're not going to beat him through his chest. The only real thing you have a chance to beat him at is if you hit a really well-timed inside move. And even then, the guy can stop and start, and he can go from one direction to the other, and he's easily able to get up and under you because I think he's got great hip flexibility as well. I I totally agree with the grading that we have with him. The, the number one area where I want to see better play from him is certainly as a run blocker, but it's not that... It's not that I'm saying to myself, oh, he needs to get in the weight room and get stronger. Oh, I think he needs to add some more weight in certain parts of his body, like the lower half or his core or his chest or like whatever. The issue for me is like, I just want to see the mean streak, right? I mean, you watch guys like Darnell Wright or Tevin Jenkins when he was at Oklahoma State or like Peter Skaronsky sometimes last year where when they would get you in run blocking – They'd want to bury you. Not only are they want you off the line of scrimmage, they want to be that guy that the whistle is done, the all-22 is kind of like coming to its last couple of seconds, and they're still driving you like a bulldozer like off the screen. That's what those guys want to do because they had that mean streak to them. I just don't see that mean streak from Fashano. So that, to me, I, I just want him to have a little bit more fire, a little bit more passion when it comes to displacing the guys in front of him. And I think he's got the strength. I think he's got the the athletic characteristics to do it. But there's no question about it. You got to have a little bit more of a little bit more pride in run blocking. And I think that uh, that, that we'll see that from him this year. I, I like doing the summer scouting thing, at least getting that first look. Of course, you just put the top 50 out there. It's over at PFF.com, the, the big board for 2024. It is updated. So you've got uh, over 150 prospects that you've watched, and you have an idea, but a guy like Fashanu in particular, I, I kind of like when there's like a discrepancy and it's like, all right, here's the thing, man. If he can wa- you know, focus on this one thing or get better at this one thing, um, that's what we're watching for this year. Something specific to watch for for some of these prospects. Um, I look at the, the edges. We've mentioned Jared Verse from Florida State, Chop Robinson from Penn State. Both guys broke out at, uh, at the FBS level last year. Verse uh, transferred from Albany and FCS prospects. Chop Robinson transfers from Maryland. Those dudes look explosive off the edge. Uh, Verse was actually awesome in the run game. I don't know, Chop Robinson a little bit uh, less consistent there. What are you looking for in this edge class? And will there be movement at the top? Or is Jared Verse the clear top guy, do you think, when you know come draft night in April? 
No, I mean, I think that there could absolutely be movement, and that's because we're already seeing uh, a ton of talent from a lot of these guys. Like Verse, you mentioned, it was his first year starting in the FBS last year, and I, I mean, he looked like an absolute monster, especially before he got hurt. He was abusing LSU's offensive line uh, during that first game that they played. So certainly he sets the bar very high, but Chop Robinson, man, you mentioned it. There, there's some guys in this class that have stupid explosiveness. Chop Robinson's one of them. I would say Braylon Trice from Washington is basically like West Coast version of Chop Robinson with nobody wants to stand in front of these guys. Like whether or not the offensive tackle actually has success getting in front of them and blocking them, they know it's going to hurt if they do so because they're coming at them with all they got. They're they're moving the hands. They're trying to break the grip, all that. And so, you know, I think that Braylon Trice is somebody that you throw up there as well. Dallas Turner from Alabama, okay, he's not starting the season as high as Will Anderson was last year, but there is certainly reason to believe that Dallas Turner could also, who I have at, I think, 20, 22, 22. Yep. on the preseason big board. I've got him edge four at number 22. There's reason to believe that he could even jump into that top 15, potentially the top 10. You need to see a little bit more strength from him. I mentioned he's got that athletic explosiveness, but... He's around 240 pounds as well. He's probably got to gain about 5 or 10 extra pounds, still be just as explosive, get a little bit more strength in his profile, and would love to see him develop a better inside counter. He really loves to attack that outside shoulder, and the reason why is because he is so explosive doing it. But you could tell that there are some offensive tackles, especially the better ones later in the year, that were able to plan for it, were able to just vertical drop a lot deeper because they knew – that that's all Turner was trying to do against him. So needs to diversify that a little bit more. But those two guys, extremely explosive. I think uh, JT Tui Maloau from Ohio State, former five-star player, one of the highest-graded recruits that 247 has ever had as an edge rusher. He's somebody who already you see a lot of that pass rush profile. He's got a lot of different moves to him, but can he get a little bit more explosiveness? Can he play a little bit more free this year? That's something that I'm looking for. So a ton of guys, I think, in this class that uh, that give you that explosiveness that you are looking for. A little bit further down the list, Prince Lee Amanumelin from Florida, nice finesse rusher, nice speed rusher who could attack the outside shoulder. Jaheen Davis from, uh, from Wake is somebody who is kind of like a bull in a china shop when he's coming off the line of scrimmage. And so uh, a lot of guys that have that athletic profile that you gravitate towards, for sure. I didn't know you had Davis up there. That's good. Looking yeah. through. Yeah, he's got a... Uh... We have a secret in-game athleticism score that we're working on right here. He shows really well with that. So, so he is go. somebody who I think he might just be a situational pass rusher in the NFL. But as we know, I mean, that's still pretty damn Still valuable. a full-time like, job, Wake, man. Yeah. Wake, Wake will put him in situations where, um, oh, who was, the, who was the Army guy last year? The Andre super Carter. Tall. Yes, yes, Andre Carter. So you know how Army would like align Andre Carter just in the widest nine alignment and say, just take a straight line path yeah. to the quarterback because he couldn't really, you know, he didn't have a lot of uh, hip flexibility, didn't have a lot of ankle flexion. That's kind of what Wake Forest does with Jaheen Davis. But he's a bull, man. He will he will fire off the line of scrimmage, and I like his, his explosiveness a lot more than I like Carter. So it might be this specialized role because he's not as flexible but this dude can crash the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, I, I, I had to put him in the top 50. I'm getting, top I'm getting excited because of what you said at the top of the show. If we did this last year, I don't know that we have enough names to talk about that are really exciting to watch this year that we're 
that not only are you ranking in the top 25 to 50 this year, but like you feel they're going to stay, right? They're going to stick. Um, yeah. The defensive tackle class, Drazon Newton from uh, Illinois, my guy Leonard yep. Taylor that we mentioned earlier from Miami. Um, I didn't realize that you were putting Chris Jenkins up there from Michigan up into the top 20. I know he just got a lot of publicity on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. But that dude, ha that guy makes plays in the run game. One of the highest run stop percentages we've ever seen here at PFF. Doesn't really anchor all that well, but he's put on 15 pounds. So that's like Chris Jenkins at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh said, wouldn't be surprised if he's a future top 10 pick. He's starting to get some publicity. If he can anchor a little bit better at defensive tackle, could see Chris Jenkins' name being thrown around a lot more. The other name I want to throw out there too, Mason Smith from LSU. Played mm -hmm. only eight snaps last year. Tears his ACL. Former five-star. Hasn't really produced on the field yet, but people are projecting a 6'6", 315-pound five-star frame saying, okay, this guy will be good. You have four defensive tackles in the top 33. We haven't seen many good defensive tackle classes outside of a couple players here and there. Is this going to be a good class there as well? Yeah, and it definitely could be. You know, I'm looking at a lot of these guys, and I think I'm projecting some of what what good could be with them. You know, when you look at Jazon Newton from Illinois, I mean, he's he's it, what I love about his game is, to me, he's an artist in the trenches. You know how? Well, I know you said you're not a big like Star Wars guy, so I don't know if you're a big superhero guy, but you know how in with the Flash when they try to portray him in movies, it's not that he moves faster; they slow everything down around him. That, to me, is what I feel like Newton plays when it comes to the defensive line. There's so much going on. There's so much clutter. There's so much There's so much beef running into each other in the trenches. It's often hard to just navigate it and get to where you need to go. But Newton, the thing that I love about him so much is he gets off the line of scrimmage, and his eyes are on the football at all times. He doesn't need to be staring at the guy right in front of him to beat them. His peripheral vision and what he's doing with his hands, it's almost like he's disengaging with guys without even staring at them. He's keeping his eyes on the ball the entire time so that if the ball carries going left, right, if the quarterback's keeping it, if the running back's keeping it, whatever it is, he's going to where the ball is going. So he, to me, is just an artist in that regard. Um, there's some other guys who are more physically gifted than he is. And I think Leonard Taylor is more physically gifted than he is. Uh, Mason Smith, I think, will be more physically gifted as well. But Newton just understands how to navigate the chaos, and it's just so valuable when you have guys who are able to do that. Uh, Taylor, you mentioned him in really great PFF grades already, and you throw on the tape, I, there's not going to be a better, well-built defensive lineman that you're going to see. I mean, the dude looks like a superhero playing it three technique defensive tackle i mean there's there's barely any bad weight on him i know he likes to do the crop top look you get to see the gut a little bit but like he's defensive lineman so he's gonna have a little bit of a gut there but the rest of it man i mean you could tell he's so muscular and he's stacked in the chest the upper back the shoulders the arms he's got so much power there and then the lower half as well he's got a big butt hamstrings quads i mean like he could fire off the line of scrimmage so just the way that this dude's built you can tell he's an athlete so He's fantastic as well. And then you start to get to some of these other guys. I really like Ruka Roro from Clemson. I think that we're going to get a great look at him uh, against Duke this upcoming weekend. He gets to go up against Riley Leonard, so that's going to be fun. Dante Corleone from Cincinnati, one of the highest-graded players that we had in the FBS last year, nicknamed the Godfather. And there are times when, you know, selfishly, I just wish Corleone would have transferred to, like, Alabama or something or Auburn or whatever because I want to see him play in the SEC. No, like he's gonna I want to. I'm going to drive down the street and see him over here. 
No, so, no, no. I, I not like not like I want to physically see him, but he already showed. And I, I know the Cincinnati's moving up in competition this this year. They're going to the Big Twelve, but like. I, I just I want to see him in a better conference because I think he is that type of caliber player, and I don't know how much more I'm going to learn this season than I learned last season. So, um, you know, I, you can go even further down the list. I know a lot of people like McKinley Jackson from Texas A&M. I like Makai Wingo, the LSU defensive tackle, who's going to play next to Mason Smith. Nazir Stackhouse is like that, that like new Jordan Davis type of a player where I don't yeah. think he's going to get like Heisman consideration like Davis was, but he's just this absolute house in the middle of that defensive line. So you got the two Ohio state guys in uh, Tyreek Williams and, and Michael Hall jr. So like you were just saying before last year, I'm not rattling off this many names. I don't, I quite frankly, I probably wouldn't care about this many prospects at this point in time, but there's so many guys to care about because there's so much potential. I think in this class, I see 12 interior defensive linemen in your top 100. I, I again, I, the, the 2019 defensive tackle class was the last one. And there was five first rounders. That's the, you know, all your all the guys who are getting paid right now, your Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, Quinnen Williams, Ed Oliver, and then hopefully getting paid Christian Wilkins soon. I, this could be the best class since then. Again, we've had one-off players, you know, Jalen Carter and Kalijah Kansi last year. You know, you've, you've seen a couple players here and there get drafted high. This could be the best defensive tackle class since 2019 yeah. uh, because of all the guys that you just mentioned there. Nazir Stackhouse, I was trying to watch him and – saw all the hype on him he has not rushed the passer well at all no, but george is no. almost not even letting him you know when you do get into the scheme limitations and everything they're just like all right we're going stunts and contain rushes and all that stuff but he is he is a house in the run game and uh difficult to move so we'll see what see where that gets valued again right jordan davis did go at 13 overall but in part because he crushed the combine at 340 right. pounds right we'll see what happens with stackhouse because it's a similar run first type of skill set where you know, we'll probably come out of this saying hey he's he's not an effective pass rusher compared to some of these other guys but you know you see what he could do in the run game and project him a little bit coming out of that mm -hmm. georgia scheme but yeah i'm kind of excited about the defensive line class you should be you definitely you definitely should be and and you know i found myself i found myself kind of reviewing this i'll just say top 100 and there's like you know i got a lot of wide receivers in there got a lot of defensive tackles in there obviously got a lot of edge rushers a lot of quarterbacks and i'm like man are these guys really that good? Like, I have this many of this position player. And the thing is, is that when you're good at a premium position, I'm going to put you higher on a big board because positional value does matter towards a big board. Now, I think it matters more when you talk scheme-specific or team-specific big boards, but there, there, are, there are a flood of quarterbacks, wide receivers, corners, edge rushers, defensive tackles who are pass rushers and then also offensive tackles those are the premium positions in football and all of those positions are deep this year and that's why it's it, it feels like a loaded class man it feels like it's gonna be a lot of fun all right let's talk receivers a little bit we've only really talked about marvin harrison jr he's the clear number one uh every single year you have receivers ranked differently uh, in part because it's one of those positions where you, you value different things, right? Marvin Harrison Jr., you mentioned, he does it all. But there's other people that are going to value speed, ball skills, yak ability, deep ability versus being a possession receiver, all of those different things. What does this receiver class look like beyond Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr.? There's something for everybody. And, you know, I think that that's a little bit of a um, 
you know, a, a draft expert cop out. So I'll use it there. Uh, but it well is, done. there's just so many different shapes and sizes of receivers that win in a lot of different ways. And it makes it tough to rank. It really does because, you know, for example, you've got a, a smaller receiver. I've got a smaller receiver in Lad McConkey from Georgia, uh, right next to Romo Dunze, the the wide receiver from from Washington. It's like these two players are just very very different wide receivers, and yet you kind of rank them on the same big board and kind of on the same plane. But it's because you recognize that there's many different ways to win at the position, and if you win in a way that is successful, whether it is um, your speed to get vertical to create separation that way. Um, flexibility of the hips, being able to sink the hips and being able to change on a, on, on a dime, uh, gain separation in that in that regard, or contested catchability. Like if, okay, maybe you don't separate as good as anybody else, but you just come down with the ball because you're a dog, like that wins. Like good coaches love that stuff. And you need that kind of stuff, especially in really important areas like when it's third and short or when it's in the red zone, things like that. So, you know, I, when I look at this receiver class, it's stacked outside of Marvin Harrison, who I have in the top 10 Malik neighbors moves super well wide receiver from LSU. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Keon Coleman, who is at 19 on my big board, Florida state wide receiver. And then Johnny Wilson, who is 29th on my big board. All three of those guys are playing in the same game this upcoming Sunday when LSU takes on FSU. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to because which wide receiver stands out the most? You know, you've got two quarterbacks who are um, both top 60 players, or I think top 70 players at least, for me on this big board, and Jordan Travis and Jaden Daniels. These are two of the highest odds players when it comes to the Heisman Trophy rankings. I think Jordan Travis is second highest odds, Jaden Daniels third highest odds. So you're going to have good quarterbacks throwing the ball. Who stands out the most? And I think that those two guys, or sorry, those three guys, um, have a chance to really start the season to make a name for themselves when it comes to the NFL draft outlook. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not the only Ohio State wide receiver. Emeka Obuka is also fantastic, man. I think he's a, he's a little bit smaller guy. He plays on the outside for, for Ohio State, but I think he's going to be more of a slot receiver at the NFL level. But dude moves so well. I mean, you talk about being able to start, stop and start on a dime. This guy's got the ability to do that, but he also then gives you that vertical threat too. I wouldn't say he's the same exact type of receiver as Chris Olave, but like when I watched Olave, I thought, all right, he's a little bit smaller. Is he just going to be like a slot receiver at the next level? And then he proved to be a fantastic vertical threat. So he really understood how to attack and get vertical and stretch the field as an outside guy. Igbuka still can do that, but I think he's more of that slot mold type of a player, but one that I think is still super valuable. Texas has two guys that Quinn Ewers is going to be able to throw the ball to that are immensely talented. Uh, one of them is A.D. Mitchell. He was playing at Georgia the last two years, got hurt and didn't play very much last year, but he transfers over to Texas. He's going to be one of their top options, top wide receivers. I think he's one of the best in the country when it comes to uh, the the foot quickness off of his releases, how he can create separation like that, how he can continuously beat press coverage in that regard, not just being six for four, but also having those lightning quick feet. The route running is already showing that I think he can be fantastic with Mitchell and then he can go up and get it with his height. Um, Xavier, or Xavier Worthy, going to be one of the best vertical wide receivers and after the catch guys in college football, or at least he can be. He really struggled with drops last year. I know drops are kind of like a, it's an up and down thing. You don't want to be too harsh on it, but you got to catch the football a lot more reliably than he did towards the tail end of last year. He was a little bit hurt, so I'm expecting a little bit better things from him. And the last guy that I'll mention, Antoine Wells Jr., the wide receiver from South Carolina, okay? This guy started in, oh, man, I can't even remember. James Madison? Was it four, 
Fort Union Military Academy, oh. I think, is where he started, and he played for a year. Then, and the reason why he did it wasn't because he wasn't talented. He admitted this. He's like, I didn't have the grades in high school. Like, I didn't care about school enough in high school, and like, I, I just, I was a good football player, but I didn't care about the grades enough. So he goes to Fort Union Military Academy, I think. Then he goes over to JMU, James Madison, which, good football program. Breaks records there. I think he set the single season record for catches, yards, touchdown catches. Goes over to South Carolina. This is a dude who, when you watch him, you, you'll you will come away with it and say, "Man, he doesn't separate super well." But he's one of those dudes that's so competitive at the catch point, like especially when people get in his face and you can tell he's been doing a little bit of trash talking throughout the game. He is he is a determined wide receiver at the boundary and at the catch point. He's somebody that I think any quarterback would love to rely upon. Those 50-50 balls go, yeah, I'm going to give my guy a shot. That's Antoine Wells. So I I, I, had, I snuck him in at number 50 on the big board because I love that personality and that style from a wide receiver. So Wells is somebody I'm really looking forward to seeing this upcoming weekend against North Carolina. I was going to save some of those guys for your my – he's one of your my guys, right? He's one he, of is, your, he is one of my my guys. He is he's one of your yes. guys in the draft. That's cool. That's fine. Um, I have a prediction, by the way. I think Xavier Worthy – you know, when, when Henry Ruggs went, what, 13 overall? Yes. I have a feeling Xavier Worthy, with his speed, is going to maybe get that Ruggs top 15 discussion. I don't know if he ends up landing there, but somebody's going to overdraft the speed. He, he is – I feel like I make a Mike Wallace comp every single draft. Ooh, Mike Wallace, sure. Will Fuller style, where the speed is out of this world and maybe that's all they can do, but it's still valuable. And I feel like Xavier Worthy's kind of that guy because the speed is legit. First gear, second gear, third gear, he's got it all. Maybe not as polished as some of those other guys, but somebody's going to pay for the speed, I think, of Xavier Worthy at Texas. Yeah. He just got, he's got to get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, and obviously he's got to cut out on the drops. And if he does those things, because remember, you know, you draft Henry Ruggs that high because of the speed, but then Ruggs also had those handful of catches where he made a catch and he got popped afterwards or it was it ended up being like a big time contested catch for him and he had like three or four of those which i think every gm in the nfl could say yeah okay he's fast we all think he's fast but he also look at this he also he's strong at the catch point and some body control and everything yeah even though even though there wasn't a high volume of it he at least had those three or four plays that people could point to if worthy gets those three or four plays I'm with you. We could be talking about him as somebody who uh, the NFL is really going to love. All right, let's uh, we'll wrap it up soon. But the the I want to talk secondary a little bit, and then we'll let you rehash uh, your guys for this draft, even if you've okay. already discussed some of them. Corner and safety are, is there? Uh, you mentioned Kool Aid McKinstry, Kalen King. You've got them at seven or eight. They're seven yeah. and eight respectively. Kool Aid McKinstry is a corner from Alabama. Kalen King a corner from Penn State. Um, are, are those the clear top two at cornerback? Are there any safeties that should be in the mix as well in the first round? What does the class look like as far as the secondary goes? Yeah, so I think I think there's four guys that you can comfortably talk about as first-round players. Kool-Aid McKintree, the cornerback from Alabama, um, he is awesome. I mean, he is a true Saban prodigy kind of a dude. He's the guy who, when they need somebody to go man everywhere, uh, he he's he's the guy to do it. Um, I think he could play 
I think he could play both sides of the line, but I think he played actually all of his snaps. I think he played like 796 snaps just at right corner. So uh, I, I think he's got the flexibility to play both sides, but he doesn't have the resume to say that. But he's a monster in press coverage. I think he had 18 forced missed in, or um, not forced missed tackles, um, forced incompletions last year, which talks about how comfortable he is playing with his back to the ball, playing in trail technique, watching the eyes of the receiver, having great technique in that regard, but also the athleticism to stick with him and be close. He's somebody who I absolutely love. Kalen King, one of the stable metrics that we have at PFF when it comes to projecting guys from college to the NFL is getting more specific than just coverage grade and identifying like single coverage coverage grade. So when you are asked to go just against a wide receiver whether it ended up being a man match thing or however the play ended up coming you are going up against just a wide receiver it's you versus the wide receiver kaylin king's single coverage coverage grade was like a 93.7 last year it was stupid i like i know who has a grade that high and single coverage nobody and it just the athleticism that this dude plays with the tenacity the fearlessness he'll get all up in you he will he will use his long arms for press coverage his hips are so fluid and fast his acceleration and recovery speed is one of the best in the country so those two guys i think at corner are going to be locks to go in the first round um, the other guy who I would say is a hybrid corner safety, whatever you want to call him, Cooper Jean from Iowa. He plays outside corner right now. He's a little bit bigger. I think he's about six foot two, 205 pounds. And so his feet are a little heavier because he carries more weight to him. You know, you see a lot of corners that are like 190, 185. He's got like 20 more pounds on him. So he's going to be a little bit heavier in the footwork, but the overall athleticism, I mean, you think he's a former track guy. You know, he played a ton of sports coming out of high school. He's one of the most decorated high school athletes in, um, I can't, I, I think it was Iowa, but it might have been Indiana, uh, state history. This dude is an absolute playmaker, had five interceptions last year, had a couple of different picks that ended up being pick sixes. If, if you want to project him to free safety, I got no problem doing that. You can project him as a free safety, as a slot player. If you want to play him on the outside, I think you absolutely can, but... I just think he's one of the best football players in the country. And then the last guy I'll shout out, Miami's Cameron Kitchens. Free safety, elite PFF grade last year. He's got the size. He's got the strength. He's got the range, most importantly, to play either free safety or strong safety, no matter where you want to play him. I think he's got the ability to do it. So those four guys, I think, in the secondary are first-round guys to me. Cooper DeGene was uh, number 14 on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. And it his trainer was breaking down his times in the – flying 10 and the flying 20 and the first 20 and all these different things and he's and they're basically they're like he's 210 pounds and he's he might break four three it's, at the combine he could he it's could stupid. break four three um and you know as an iowa corner you know we've seen good iowa corners because they're usually uh you know good at playing zone and they've got good eyes like desmond king coming out of iowa you know runs like four six but it's like ah the guy just plays football really well they're usually not putting incredible athletes from the secondary into the NFL, but they but they know how to play football really well. DeGene could be that guy who kind of breaks the mold as far as, uh, you know, incredible athlete who also is good at football coming out of right. Iowa. Right, very, very good at football. Very good at football. Which is great because he's number 11 on the draft board here, and it's not just projection. Playing football is good. It's a good combination. How do um, – just a general question. How do you weigh – what are, what are the things you're looking for? How are you weighing production, projection – 
Uh, what, it, what does your system look like when you're looking at all these data points that you have access to at PFF, but also we know that we're, we're projecting players to the NFL and trying to figure out what, which parts of that data actually matter and you know, uh, we should be leaning into when we project a guy to the NFL. Yeah, so we have um, these these things that are called more stable metrics uh, at PFF, which you know take a lot of the data that we have, but it kind of contextualizes them even more. And and the tools that we have, you know, we don't just have to rely on coverage grade. Although coverage grade is is a great starting point, we can really get into the situations of oh, like, okay, well, what was the coverage grade when the quarterback had a clean pocket, or what was the coverage grade when the quarterback had more than three seconds to throw or what was the coverage grade when they were in single coverage or whatever it was and i think that those three areas i think uh, how you defend when you're in single coverage obviously that really relies on your anticipation your iq your athletic ability uh because corner is one of those positions specifically that if you mess up in any of these areas you're going to get cooked to me corner is the second hardest position to play in the game behind quarterback because of the margin for error is just unbelievably low and obviously extremely detrimental you know if you miss by half a second because of whatever reason maybe uh we're playing a little bit too far one side or the other you were given a little bit too much more in leverage uh maybe you went for a for a punch at the at the line of scrimmage and and you whiffed a little bit so now you're playing from behind like that could be the difference between an incomplete pass and a 55 yard touchdown right so the you want to try to categorize these guys to see when they are asked to truly cover how do they play so single coverage grade, um, clean pocket grade, and then grade in which the quarterback has more than three seconds to throw the ball. Because those latter two with clean pocket and then time to throw, they take away, and not that you don't want to observe those plays at all, you do, but when it comes to data points, those take away how much pass rush could help you as a corner when we really are trying to learn what are your coverage skills like you kind of get to contextualize those things a little bit more and then of course you're pairing a lot of the data with you've got to have you've got to have the athletic ability that shows up on tape mirror and recovery speed is really important for me um ball skill is really important for me change of direction fluidity those things are, are very very important to me so there's an, an athletic baseline that you have to have that has to show up on tape. But then when it comes to organizing the data that we have, those are a handful of points that uh, that I really look to. Oh, forcing completions is another one. It is a way to measure yeah. ball skills pretty well. Because if you keep the forcing completions high in college, good chance you've got a really great feel for where the ball is, when it's coming, when to turn your head. And then that turns into, of course, takeaways, interceptions, things like that. Any first-round running backs next year? We had Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs last year. I see Trey Benson's number one on the big board right now at number 35. The two Michigan guys, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards at 41 and 44, respectively. Any of these guys sneaking into the first round? I would say, I'll say no Strong for maybe. now. Strong um, maybe coming from you right there. And I like a lot of these guys. I really do. Trey Benson's awesome. Trey Benson, you know, when we when we talk about contextualizing data, with running backs, you want to try to remove them from the blocking scheme, right? Because any back 
can, of course, at the college level or NFL level, can run behind a really great offensive line. But when you're trying to scout and trying to find the value in these guys, you want to find out what they can be outside of their offensive line. That's very difficult to do because the run game is so married between the playmaker who has the ball in his hands and the guy blocking in front of him. But missed tackles force is a really great way that we can contextualize some of that because it shows your individual ability once you get into space. Trey Benson had a 0.51 missed tackles force rate, which was almost 0.10 better than Bijan Robinson. And Bijan's unbelievable at forcing missed tackles. Is that Javante Williams territory off the top of my head? I'm trying to think. Better. Was better. it better than Javante? Wow, because Javante was maybe the best that we've seen since Javante. I think was I think Javante was point four four. Okay, I think Bijan was point four two, and I think Travis Etienne was also point four two, and Trey Benson last year was point five one. Wow, so dudes making dude dudes making people miss. So I like him a lot, but I just don't know if there's going to be that running back that has. The hype, the allurement. I mean, let's be honest. When you're running back, like you need people to talk about you. Like you need outside noise. You need Heisman candidacy for you to become a a, a legit first round candidate. I think in today's NFL. So I don't know if any of these guys are going to have that, especially since Blake Corum's kind of coming back from last year. Um, a lot of guys love. I think this running back class again is really talented, really deep. I just don't know if we're going to get one of them in the first round. All right, Trevor, let's wrap it up with uh, my guys. You've already mentioned a couple of them. I know you sent you fired a list over to us last night, but some of the guys in the draft class that either maybe they're higher on the big board than others, you know, guys that you just love that might not even be first round players, but they're just they're just your guys so far yeah. in the draft. Okay. So uh, I'll start with three on offense. First one's AD Mitchell, uh, the wide receiver from Texas. And he's gotta be a my guy because I seem to be much higher on him than basically everybody else out there. After I publish my wide receiver rankings and I publish my big board, that's the time where I go kind of looking around at some other people in the industry who are producing these preseason rankings. And I'm like, where is A.B. Mitchell? Like, why are we not talking about this guy? Yeah. I think he's super talented. I really do. I think he's going to be have a great year. Like I mentioned, six foot four. I think he's got the big body frame. Um, I think he's got great footwork. I think that we can, we are watching a guy who has the potential to be a phenomenal route runner. And when you have that potential to you at that kind of size, I'm always going to gravitate towards it. Offensive line. I didn't mention this guy, but Graham Barton, the offensive tackle from Duke, He's a little bit shorter. I think he might be a shade under like six foot five, maybe like three ten. So he's like smaller on the offensive tackle side of things, especially from the length perspective. But I feel like we're going to talk about him in the way that we talked about Peter Skaronsky. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go as high as Peter Skaronsky, but this dude graded super well for us last year. And the reason why is because he moves so well. And the lack of weight may be an issue in the strength profile of his game, but the grip strength, man, when this dude gets his his hands underneath the bottom of your pads and just locks in, good freaking luck getting off this guy. I, I That was something that I noted and, and wrote in bold in my scouting report is just how much of a stud he is when he gets latched onto you. So he's really difficult to get by. Um, I don't know if he's going to play offensive tackle or interior offensive line at the NFL level. We're seeing Peter Skronsky play on the interior. Maybe that's Graham Barton's. Um, uh, end result, but I just think he's a damn good offensive lineman. Last guy is Antoine Wells. I mentioned him. Absolutely love the ferociousness at the catch point. So I already talked about him. I can move on to, to the defensive guys. Latu Latu, the edge rusher from UCLA. Didn't mention him when we talked about the edge rush group, but he comes in at number two for me as, as an edge rusher. He's at UCLA. Interesting story. Started at Washington. 
had a neck injury that he suffered going into his sophomore year where he he almost had i think he actually did medically retire from football because washington was not going to clear him to play they're like you we we, we we're not going to clear you to play it was a neck injury it was something that was really potentially going to compromise him and re-injure him and and um but it was just really dangerous for him to continue to play the game of football he took about two years off goes to ucla starts feeling better, gets these medical rechecks. The doctors are like, actually, everything's looking good. Goes to UCLA. They do medically clear him. And last year, man, fantastic. Almost six foot five, 265 pounds. He's got the height. He's got the size that you want. You see it right there. 91.0 pass rush grade, 20 pass rush win rate, which is a great way to contextualize individual potential for edge rushers. Had those double-digit sacks. And he is such a savant already. Despite not being able to play as much as he has over the last couple of years, this dude gets it. He's got all sorts of moves to him. He's got a nice long arm. He's got a dip and rip. He's got a like club rip to him. He's got the inside move. Like he already has so many great pass rush moves. Absolutely love this guy. Kalen Carson's the next one, cornerback from Wake Forest. Huh. If you love the way that like Jair Alexander, Devon Witherspoon, guys like that played the cornerback position, you're going to love Kalen Carson. He is fearless. He will get in your face. He is a one-on-one stud. He has got some of the best click and close ability that I saw of any corner in this class. The overall grade, you see it a little bit lower, but he's got the pass breakups. He had the forced incompletions, and I think another year he's going to really take that leap because that athletic ability and his uh, his change of direction is just so damn good. Last guy I'll shout out, interior defensive lineman. I mentioned him a little bit, Makai Wingo. He's going to be playing next to Mason Smith. Well, not this weekend because Mason Smith suspended, but eventually he's going to play next to Mason Smith. And, you know, Wingo's pass rush win percentage was lower. He was in the single digits. I think he was nine point something. But there are flashes of when he hits, when he hits a move on the interior, it's like he's in the backfield and in the quarterback's lap within two seconds. Shoot, quicker than that. Less than two seconds. He is blowing up a play so well. And I just felt like if we get more of that, of course, we're going to be talking about a guy who's going to rise up into this class, maybe be a major difference making defensive tackle. So I just feel like not enough people are talking about Makai Wingo. So I wanted to shout him out here as one of my guys. Makai Wingo played 821 snaps last year. That's the most we've seen from an interior defensive lineman since 2019. That's a lot for a college player. Um, So when you talk about maybe the pass rush win rate's not there, a lot of opportunities. Like it's tough to win at a high rate when you're on the field right. that much. But his run defense grades were fantastic. Everything that you just described there. And then Kalen Carson. I had to watch him last night when you mentioned him because um, I hadn't really watched him yet. And I get the comparisons you're making. Feisty. He's aggressive. He looks oh, like you know, joystick so movement fun. type out there and everything. I like it. So those are those are fun players to watch. I'm excited because college football is really starting this weekend. It's week one. And you've given us a million players to watch and guys that, you know, we've, we've, there's room to improve in, you know, from a draft stock perspective. My favorite thing about college football week one is there's always like four or five players who come out of nowhere, seemingly come out of nowhere, yeah. or just look like first round picks, right? Like from week one, even Joe Burrow a couple of years ago, it wasn't declared he's a first round pick or number one overall, but week one, he looked like, oh gosh, Joe Burrow is completely different. And then you wait a couple weeks, and then by week four, it's like, oh, we need to talk about him. There will be players this weekend in college football who seemingly – there was Jared Verse last year with Florida mm-hmm. State. They couldn't block him down the stretch in that opener against LSU. They got the rematch this, this week. They couldn't block him. It's like that dude looks like a first-round pick, just came from Albany. He'll be a first-round pick. So that is what maybe my favorite part of week one 
of college football. It's seeing the true freshmen, seeing the freshmen who come in, and but it's really there. There are going to be some guys all of a sudden this weekend who maybe look like future first rounders that we weren't expecting. So that'll be fun. Plus all the guys that we've discussed here today. Keep an eye on all of them. Yep, yep. I've I've, I've watched almost two hundred guys now throughout this process, and uh, I can't wait for Sunday to roll around and the grades to kind of come in and be like, all right, now I'm now I get to watch this guy for the first time and get to expand that a little bit get you guys a, a top 200 that you could put into the mock draft simulator too. So that's coming soon. Don't worry about it. The people are yearning for some early model players. I'm, they're just they're just begging me. They might not be, but if you say I they am. are. I am. Um, I didn't realize. So, you know, I just run the numbers and see where guys land. But Quinion Mitchell, the cornerback out of Toledo, did he land on the top 150? No, somewhere? I haven't watched him yet. Okay. I haven't watched him. You got to watch him because he also ended up on Feldman's freaks list as okay. well. And sometimes it's like, all right, you know, he's just a good college player. But then when you add the athleticism, it's like, okay, there could be a marriage here. That's all Mitchell. Right. Um, I'm kind of high on Tyler Davis, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. I thought last year, I thought he was a better football than Brian Brissy, who went in the first round from Clemson. You are you are not the only one who thought that. I heard yeah. multiple people when they talked about the Clemson defensive line, they're like, yeah, Tyler Davis is the best football player is right. the way that people would say like okay miles murphy's the better athlete brian brzee's got better athleticism whatever i heard people say no 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 tyler davis is the better football player than these guys yeah so i'm interested if that if he ends up rising to the top he'll go to the senior bowl play well and it, that's what I, i'm expecting i i was watching tyler davis and thinking he might not have the best measurables but he is a good football player and he's he is pretty athletic as well i noticed you had nelson caesar pretty high from houston the edge defender and i had to go back and check my numbers the numbers like him quite a bit as someone to watch he's 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 a really good pass rusher because he understands how to win at the position super well the reason i actually had him a little bit higher initially on the uh on the top 150 but i brought him down a little bit because it does worry me that a lot of his pass rush plan stems from a really effective long arm, which works well at his level of competition right now. But he it's not like he's super long as a pass rusher. He just likes to use the move, and that's kind of where he stems a lot of his plan from. So I'm a little worried. Does that totally get neutralized at the NFL level when he goes up against better, longer offensive tackles? But... Dude knows how to run the rush the passer, man. He's fun. He's really fun. Um, the other one I just wanted to highlight, Joe Alt, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame. The numbers love yeah. him. Absolutely love him. Yeah, watching him a little bit, he doesn't have that same pure footwork that Fashanu has from Penn State. I'm not sure if Alt is the – I don't know how you feel about him in pass protection. I think he's good. Kind of reminds me of a Jack Conklin type. You know, might not, ha- might, might not pass the eye test from a pass protection standpoint, but he wins. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how hyped up he'll get, but man, he's been really productive, uh, basically since he stepped on campus at Notre Dame. Yeah. I think the, the two, the two big, biggest issues with him that I saw on tape were, um, the kick slides were a little slow. Like I felt like his, his, his feet were a yeah. little bit slow yep. when he was really trying to hit a 45 degree angle or a vertical set. Um, and then just, he's so tall. It's, it's hard to like maintain that leverage and continue to maintain that strength from him. So uh, look, really nice athlete. So I think he's nimble on his feet when he's kind of like moving in short areas and especially when he's getting out of his stance but those kick slides covering as much ground as they need to even with as big as he is and just some more consistency overall but he'll be in that discussion for one of the best offensive tackles in the draft I think 
So, yeah, those are just some of my early guys to look at. I like when they match. A lot of my cornerback rankings will, will match up with perception. And Cameron Kitchens, the safety out of Miami, is the top for me. You know, So that mm-hmm. matches what you have there. So sometimes it matches, and sometimes you're, you're finding sleepers. You know, you're finding some guys. Last, last year when I was running just the production data, some 90th percentile players, you might find this interesting, guys that were in the 90th percentile or higher in the preseason that were not being talked about in the first round or first mm-hmm. or second round. Keon White, Jack Campbell, okay. Kalijah okay. Cansey, Nolan Smith was being discussed there, but he was 90th plus, and then Peter Skaronsky, Anton Harrison, um, Dalton Kincaid, and Sam Laporta as well. So oh it's kind of Anton Harrison, baby. I felt like I was higher on Anton Harrison than like everybody else. I just he's so good. He was so good in pass protection, man. And he yeah. showed a little bit of that with Jags his preseason too. Those were just some guys that I was looking at in the preseason last year. I was like, oh, you know, these are some guys to watch. These guys are near the top of the production rankings. Let's see how they develop. And look at you. You're like, yeah. So just that's it. The model. The model. Hashtag the model. So anyway, Trevor, it's been great. Appreciate having you here. Be sure to check out Trevor on. The stock exchange, where you guys are breaking down. What are you guys? What are you guys doing right now? What's the? What does the show look like heading into the season? So later this week, we're actually doing a full big board episode where I'll show my big board, which is obviously public. But Connor will reveal his for the first time, and then we'll create like a collaborative show top fifty going into the season. And then uh, Monday, baby, first mock draft of the season. Oh man, we're already there. Mock draft season already. It is indeed. You can't hide from it. The most Dread difficult it, thing is... It. Destiny the, arrives all the same. The poor fan bases that are ready to make a playoff run, and it's like, why are we picking third? Why do you have us picking third? We're about to make the playoffs and win the Super Cause Bowl. Because your team stinks. I don't know what to tell you. No. Oh, you're going to have the Cardinals picking one and two? Yeah. Gotta, yeah. yeah, we are. Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison combo, figure out how to trade Kyler Murray. Can't wait for all those <laughs> discussions. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Well, Trevor, we appreciate you joining us here, PFF NFL Podcast. Of course, you'll be back on the show throughout the season talking draft with Sam, keeping us updated on everything that's going on there. So that's it for us today. Appreciate it, Steve. Looking forward to covering the season with you guys. Thank you, Trevor, and thanks to everybody that has joined us today. We're back on Labor Day. We're working, Sam and I. We'll be here Labor Day with our prediction show, and then next Wednesday, the bet and viewer prediction show. So get those in. Email them to us, nflpodcast at pff.com. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy college football this weekend. We'll see you again on Monday.